Cast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. Featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest, Sarah M to the show today. Speaker and author of the book, How I Survived the Killing Fields. Sarah has life lessons and gained a tremendous amount of wisdom that impacts others due to her experience of surviving the mass genocide of Cambodia. Her inspirational award-winning book, How I Survived the Killing Fields, was honored in 2015. As its speaker, our guest shares her tenacity, perseverance, and faith are values required to conquer fear and reach success. Sarah speaks to help listeners refocus, build confidence, and develop self-leadership at conferences, churches, schools, TVs, radio, and more. She operates a wellness business, Smart Healthy Living, and is a co-host of a weekly live show on Facebook, A Thriving Conversation. It's a great pleasure I welcome Sarah to the show. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Jason. It's my pleasure. <laughs> it's mine as well. It's mine as well. I, As I was saying before we started our interview, it's a true treat for me today to have you on the show. I deeply admire you, respect you, I think. What you've done by creating your book and getting your message out there is such an important thing we need right now. Our society here in the United States and across the world, there's a rise of totalitarian, authoritarian type government and regimes that don't respect individual rights out there that are thriving, unfortunately, in the global order. And you live in Cambodia during a time that a lot of people now don't really know about. And I think your message, they say the past 
repeats itself. And it's, if you would have told me 10 years ago that we'd be dealing with the issues that we're dealing with here in the United States or globally even, it wouldn't have resonated with me. Yet we see what's going on right now. And I deeply appreciate you sharing your vulnerability, sharing your message and sharing your history with us today. And I want to thank you for that first off. And sometimes when people tell a message, you got to connect others to it and get them to realize what you're sharing. And so my first question to you is, what prompted you to start to write your book? There are many reasons, but a couple of them is that some people did not believe that it happened in Cambodia. They did not believe that what we tell them, if they, there was a killing field. No, they don't believe it. And secondly, I heard some of my friends, they have teenage that took their own life. So that shocked me because I realized, wow, people live in a beautiful, prosperous country, but they still did not feel good about their life. So what if they know a little bit about my journey, they might change their mind. That my goal was to help them to have a different perspective on life. So that's some other reason. I'm a Gen X. I'm 46 and I was born in 1975. So as a child, I was born when you were probably going through the horrific experience in Cambodia in the late 70s with the Khmer Rouge. And if you can give us a little background on what happened with the Khmer Rouge and how they took over Cambodia and where you were at the time this happened, that might give us some background for the audience to understand how you came to write The Killing Fits. Yes. I grew up in the village, it's a small village in Cambodia. My, my parents are farmers, but they believe in higher education. And I was loved and secure. I feel secure when I grew up. But when I graduated from high school, I had an opportunity to attend college. And the college is in the capital city of Cambodia, which is about 300 miles away from home. So I left my family behind and left my hometown. So I went to, the, to Phnom Penh to attend college. While I was away from home in 1975, the very bad thing happened to Cambodia. That's when the Khmer Rouge communists took over our country. And I was trapped. I could not come home. I could not connect my, with my family because they shut down everything. And they also evacuated people out of the city. And the evacuation is the most horrific thing that I ever experienced in my life until then. I move along with the people that we walk in the, on a crowded street and just walk away from everything. And I end up in a remote village and then they transport me to another place and then I get trapped into the camp. This was camp that I got trapped for long years. The and camp, you, yeah, the camp that they push us to work extremely. What was that like for you getting stuck in a camp and not knowing what's going on? I'm sure it had to be, I can't put myself there. I've never had anything like this happen to me, but what was it like for you being a college student in the capital city and in this 
government is shifted and taken over by the Khmer Rouge, and then you're put in a camp. What was your experience when you first got to this camp like for you? When I got into the camp, first experience was shock and don't know what to do, except just just take order, whatever they want me to do. Just follow the order. I know they will be, they can be brutal. So I want to survive. So I just follow their order. And their order is to push us to work. Long hour in the right field. And the intense hot sun in the tropical country, as you can imagine. When you work in the fields, was that your first time that you felt like control was taken away from your life? In the oh, yes. you had your life path and your goal and you were leaving your home and moving into the capital of your country and taking college courses. I'm trying to think what that would be like. What went through your mind as you realized the shift that happened and your loss of the control of it and wanting to survive? Yeah, I have no more control. I'm, I was treated like a slave. I was working like 16 hours a day, seven, day, seven days a week. So there's no time for rest, not, not enough time to sleep, and very little food to eat. So imagine, stout and exhausted. And then very soon I contracted a few serious disease that really put me into very bad shape. So severely sick and I still need to work. What? When you were sick, what kind of care did you receive or did you have to fend for yourself? I had to take care of myself, which is not much. I have nothing. I got the leaves. There's a tree, it's called neem tree. It's very bitter, extremely bitter. I make the tea out of that neem tree that people told me that will help me to cool down my high fever. High fever and malaria and then type 40. So all those are very serious disease, but there's nothing to help me to get better. When you first went to the city to go to college, did you have any idea that the Khmer Rouge was about to take over the country? No, no, no way. No. And the prior government that existed in Cambodia at the time you went to school, was it democracy? Was it a monarchy? Like, what kind of government was it before the Cameron Rouge came in? It's a democracy. And from your vantage point, I know you said you went into the rice fields to work. And how, you were there like four years? Four. Were you in the same location the whole time? Yeah. What did you think after you got sick and now you realize you were getting healthier about what your future would look like going forward, even though you had to work? and do the things you were doing in this. What was it that kept you going from day to day? It's my love for my family. I want to survive just for my family because my family and I, we are close. And I know my parents love me so much. And just for that, and I have faith. I believe I have a little glimmer a glimmer of light that something might change. So just a glimmer of hope that 
something might change. So I just keep pushing myself, keep going on every day from day to day. And there was one time that I was extremely sick that I barely cut my breath to breathe. I barely breathe. So I just keep on pushing. Just one more hour, one more hour, one more day, one more day. Keep pushing because my goal is to read, to go back to my hometown for my family. While you were in the camp, in the rice fields and you got sick, were you able to communicate with anyone from your family back in your hometown, your village? No. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. There was no communication. The day that they came in 1975, they cut down everything. That's why I don't have a transportation to go back home. And there is no phone, no letter. They shut down. They shut down the post office. And at that time, they, we don't have a cell phone like today. When you went through your experience, did you think, what is my family going through right now? That's all the time. the time. What was your thoughts at the time when you were thinking, how's my family? How's my, how are they? I can't talk to them. And I'm in this location. I'm trapped at. I'm, I just cry. I, there's nothing I can do. And I cry and I hope that they will survive. My, my mom just recovered from four years of paralysis. She had an accident and I was her caregiver before I left home. And we developed a strong bond. Mom and I, we know we love each other so much. So I think that will help me to have such a resiliency that during these hard times, my love for my family and their love for me Help me to not giving up on life. So resiliency is very important. When you went through this horrible experience, did you witness death firsthand? And if so, what was that like for you compared to your earlier experience of preparing to go to college in the capital city? It's very sad for me. During my life in the camp, I start to build like a sisterhood among the people that are in the same situation. So we help each other, we support each other. But when I was put in the infirmary, the sister, the God sister that I had, and some of them just like, we, we can see each other. We cannot reach each other because both of us are so sick. We cannot even crawl to reach each other. And she passed on. She cried out for me. And we all we do is just reach out and to try to touch each other. But we cannot do anything to help each other. 
it's really heartbreaking for me. Who cared for you while you were infirm at the infirmary? Some of my friends, we cared for each other. The, they are sick as well. And there was a, a leader in that infirmary. She just made sure that, I don't know what she is for, but when there's time for them to distribute a little bit of food, she made sure that everybody get a little of food. You call your book The Killing Fields, and I wanted to see if you could explain that for our audience. What were the killing fields and what does that mean to you? The killing field, it's, it's the time that I was under that captivity. During that time, there was a mass genocide going on. In my camp, I, although I did not see people killing in front of me, but I know people keep disappearing and I know they were taken away and got killed. And at the end of the four years, there was a lot of mass grave, there were a lot of skull, a lot of bone that, that they kill people and they throw into the mass grave. And that's why there was a name, the killing field, because the field that they forced us to work is the killing also, because normal people cannot endure that. We are exhausted from working and we are not giving enough food to sustain ourselves. And not enough sleep, not enough rights. We cannot endure that. I want to ask you this. I believe the killing pills were as many as Estimated maybe 2 million and 3 million people died during that time with the genocide. We've all, I can't even, words can't describe the horrendous experience you personally went through with your struggle. Only you know that. I'm thinking in my mind, like my point of reference, living through the last few years of our lives in the United States with COVID and the world and everything we've gone through, nothing like what you've went through in Cambodia. What I will say is I remember there some days I woke up and I would have to remind myself where I'm at right now. Like I'm not at a happier time before COVID happened. I'm stuck in the house during a quarantine and I had to orientate myself and you wake up and you're like, oh my, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Like I have to be somewhere else. Did you go through that experience when you went to this horrible ordeal in Cambodia that you would get up in the morning and have a dream that you were somewhere else from a prior point in your life with your family at, a, at your village and happier times and then you'd wake up and you'd see the bleakness of the moment? And if so, what was that like for you? And how did you move forward and move beyond feeling helpless? Yes, I woke up sometime. I was uh, disoriented, misoriented. It's, oh, where am I? But the reality hit that we are in the really bad place in our life. The worst possible scenario of our life. But. I still have a glimpse of hope. I still think of my parents, still think of my brothers. And I just dream. I dream about the possible future that we will be together again. So that dream that keep me alive. I can see that. And that would help with the resiliency of your human spirit, which I love to attest to with the show today. And then you went through some horrendous experiences, but you're here today to talk about it. <laughs> That's a blessing by itself. Since this is a spiritual show, I want to ask you, how was your spirituality shaped by going through the experience you went through in Cambodia? 
I must say that I am grateful. I'm grateful that I'm in the right mindset, that I've gone through a lot of bad experience, but I'm over. I let it pass. I let it be just my experience, just the experience that I've been through. It's over. It's over. From now on, everything is better. It's always going up from now on. So like when our life is going up and down, the valley and the peak, and the valley and the peak. So when you are in the valley and then now you are at the peak, you feel good. You feel good that you've gone through it and you make it through. Your captors at the camp, did you have an opportunity to get to know them? What type of approach did they take towards you as being someone who was held in the camp? And how did you deal with those people that were your captors? Some of them are rude and brutal and some of them are kind. So diff different kind, different people, but they take order from their, their supervisor. So from that point of view, I forgive them because they have no choice and they just take order. So that's how I, de I, I decided to look at that way. This way, my heart is calmer. I'm at peace. Do you have moments now at this stage of your life where you have dreams about that part of your life? And if so, what is that like for you? I, I don't remember having that kind of dream anymore. Not more. Not anymore. Thank God. That's good. Yeah. Good. When I think back to try to understand how you went through this experience, I'm sure there's people in our audience that think to themselves, I could never live through that. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this? And they say, if I was in your shoes, I know I wouldn't make it. They underestimate themselves. You underestimate yourself. When the time comes, you will be able to pull up your sleeve and do the best you can. You will be able to make it. And if you want to make sure that you will be able to, to sustain when something bad coming in the future, grab on to somebody that you love. Strengthen your love relationship with your family. Friend, close friend, love will carry you through hard time. And also have faith. Whatever your faith in, believe that there's higher power that is more powerful than you. Just gave me goosebumps as you say that. And I get goosebumps spiritually when I do this stuff. I love that you brought up love and faith. Those are two powerful forces of nature that I believe are our guarantees for resiliency of the human spirit. When you went through your captivity, were there things that you did in the camp that helped you pass the time outside of being exhausted and sick and working and feeling trapped? Were there little things that you did with the other internment, the other people in the camp with you that helps you get through the day-to-day -day reality of what you were struggling through? you for asking that question. That's a fun question. So it seemed like you read my book, but you, <laughs> have, not, you have not read my book. In my book, I describe there are times when my sisterhood group 
when just before we fall asleep, we get bored sometimes and we want to entertain ourselves. Here, here, how we entertain, right? We will starve and exhausted and don't have anything else to do. So we entertain our mind. We talk about recipe. Can you? <laughs> we talk about recipe while we are so hungry. So we share the best recipe. What, what would you want? I love that. And you know what you're showing me right now? The resiliency of the human spirit also relates to ingenuity, having laughter, healing from within, keeping yourself going, keeping focused. And those are survival skills that everyone can benefit from hearing this episode. People who struggle financially, there's people who struggle health-wise, there's people who are depressed. You went through one of the most horrific circumstances, yet you kept your composure, you were resilient, and you survived. And that, to me, is one of the most powerful messages I think I can have on my show, to be honest with you. Someone who can show that, yes, on the outside, this could look like the worst situation that you could be placed in. But what you don't understand, I'm saying to the audience, is how strong the human spirit is, how strong resiliency is, how strong love and faith are, how how you could still make light of a horrible situation by coming together with other people who are sharing that with you. And that com camaraderie is probably what helped to ease the pain of the hunger of everything else you had to go through. And I want to ask you if you could reflect on that for a minute and share with our audience what you found for yourself to be one of the, your strongest moments during that time that you haven't really reflected on much, but you can share today. So for example, if you were to say, you know what helped me every day? I had a routine and I was with my sisters in the camp. And at night before we passed out and we were starving, we got the opportunity to smile a little bit. We talked about some recipes. We thought about more pleasant times. That helped me get through this. And I wanted to see if that's, sounds like that's what you did. And that's a powerful fact by itself. Yes. That's what we then, well, we find some opportunity for us to share some good time together, some good place that we enjoy, like the vacation spot. I was so young. I was still 20 years old at that time. So I didn't have much time to vacation or anything. All I did was school. But we have some beautiful spot that we enjoy in the past. So during this hard time, we remember all those memories. Remember. So memory is very important to have. So every moment that you have to create memory with your loved one, do it. Because it might come and have you during hard time. What is the strongest message for you that love means to you today after going through this experience? And how would you share that message with our audience about love and its importance in our lives? Love is very important in our life because when you have love, that means you have a better purpose. The person that you love, it's an extension of you. That means your purpose is bigger than yourself. You don't live just for your own self. You live for somebody else. You live for the purpose. So for me, during that hard time, 
my family was my purpose. So if we live by our own purpose, we will survive any challenging time. You tell us about your family. How did they survive this ordeal when they were separate from you? And what was it like for you when you realized you were going to be able to reunite with them? By my family, my family gone through difficult times just like me. And they did, they did not hear from me for a long time. And then the country was liberated four months before I came home. I was still in captivity after the whole country was liberated. So they thought that I was then. When I walked to them, I was like a skeleton walking. But we were happy. And we long later, we talked about our own experience. We didn't want to talk. We didn't share anything. We didn't want to, to remind ourselves of those four years. But we just enjoyed the moment that we got together, that we found each other again. Yeah, we were so happy that we, we reunited. How was it for you to get liberated, the actual day of liberation when you got liberated from the camp? What was that like, if you could describe that to our audience? I did not get liberated. I escaped. Okay. The whole country was liberated, but I was still in captivity. But when they push us closer and closer to the jungle, I realized I don't want to keep going with them. I'm going to take a very dangerous escape. So I escaped. Guess what? I did not do it by myself. I gathered three of my close friends, my sisterhood. I asked three of them, I said, would you escape with me? And they said, yes. And we plan an escape. And we, we took a very dangerous avenue. If we ever get caught, we never see the sunlight again. How did you plan your escape? And what steps did you take to make it happen? We don't have a sophisticated way to do it, but we just map out to know where the gods stand. So it takes us only a couple of days to plan it. It's not long, where they stand, how they, where they look and so on, and where we came from, because we have been moved into this location. So we just try to track find our step from where we moved from. So that's how we plan. And we took some of the rice, some raw rice that we put our hand on carry with us because we know we are going to need some food. That's it. So we wait until nighttime and we just hold hand and we run. How far did you have to go? Did you go into the jungle? We tried to get out of the jungle because we were in the jungle. And as well, the jungle is very dark at nighttime, but God must protect us. They probably directed that stuff because otherwise we would get lost round and round in the jungle. And you didn't have GPS or cell phones or any modern technology to be or tour guide. So you had to figure <laughs> it out on your own. And you must have been exhausted and weakened by the status of what you went through. So that's a miracle and a blessing by itself. Yeah, How long um, did it take you to escape to actually find 
where you needed to go? One whole mile, we walked nonstop. And then when the daylight come, we keep moving. We know, we know that we are away from them. We are free. We are free, finally free. It feels very really good that we make our own effort to free ourselves. It's amazing. I'm trying to imagine what that's like to leave, which I would have tried to do my hardest anyway, and the courage to know that you could get killed for this. This isn't something that, it's not like you're going and training for a marathon and you take these steps and everything's with protection. You are surviving and you are making this run with how many of your, how many of your sisters, so to speak, the people you were there with? Three other people. Three other people. And all three of you made it out okay. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Yes. I heard that there's hundreds of thousands of people who get killed during this time because the Vietnamese uh, soldiers come to liberate our country. And the Khmer rules accuse people that want to run into the Vietnamese group. They accuse that they are traitors that we are traitors. So if they get caught, they will accuse us of being a traitor. I heard that hundreds of thousands of people get killed during that time, just that time alone. What's your viewpoint on life, considering you saw how fragile it can be and considering you came out of one of the most horrific genocides in our modern history? How do you view life differently as a result of that experience? I, I believe life is fragile. So live the fullest, the most meaningful way you possibly can. Do something beautiful for your family, for your community, for the world. So that's why I said earlier that having a, a purpose for your life, it's really important because life is meaningful. I love that. It's really good, sir. I really do. I, I want to ask you this, survivor's guilt. Have you ever had that? Meaning that you you made it through this horrific experience and that there's others who, like you said, hundreds of thousands died alone, just trying to escape. Have you ever gone through this thing and say, it's like a lottery. I was able to make it through these horrible experiences in the killing field, yet I survived and I'm here to tell the story about it and witness to it. Not sure what the question Did you ever have guilt about surviving what you survived considering so many countless others of your peers and people in your country perished by the Khmer Rouge? Have you ever thought about how blessed you are to make it through the horrendous experience while others perished. Yes, I feel, feel blessed. I feel grateful, but I feel so sorry for those that, that did their best. They tried to escape to find freedom, but didn't make it. Yes, I feel so sorry about that. But, and I also feel grateful that life is not fair all the time. It's not fair. Brad, we, you, we just do the, I do my best. Sarah, tell me, tell our audience where they can find your book. Cause I'd love to have everyone pick up this book. Cause I think it's so critical. My book is on my website, sarahm.com slash book. So just my first name and last name as com slash book. And tell us about your wellness business. 
my wellness business. Originally, before I published my book, I was focusing on physical wellness. I'm passionate about helping people to take care of themselves because I know sickness is really, really, really bad. So I gone through sickness myself, almost didn't make it, and I've been a caregiver to my mom. So I don't want anybody to get the sickness like that. So that's the reason behind my passion on wellness is the self-care advocate. So I did conference, wellness conference, wellness seminar, and health fair. And also I advocate for them to take like supplement and make sure that whatever they buy, bring into their home is healthy, it's non-toxic and all that. The physical wellness. But since I published my book, I shift slightly. I'm still doing the wellness, but my wellness now is focusing on mental, emotional. It's all in the wellness. I love what you're doing right now. I admire what you're... I get speechless sometimes when I have some amazing guests that come on and share such a monumental journey. And you made me speechless at the moment, but with gratitude that you have the resiliency to not only survive this chapter of your earlier life, but now taking it now and sharing it as a message of hope for others, as a message of strength and fortitude. Those are powerful messages that we're dying for as a society right now. Thank you, Jason. I want to ask you, do you feel like where we're living right now, you find some similarities before the Khmer Rouge took the power in Cambodia, like the fears that people are going through in society with COVID that just happened or the political instability in all these countries that we're witnessing in war and death and destruction. Have you started to see something like that compared to where you were 50 years ago? And if so, what kind of parallels do you draw in terms of that? And what kind of hope of message do you offer us now? I think because this society is we have so many intelligent people and I trust that it's not going the way that the communist Khmer invade our country. So intelligent people don't sleep. Stay away and help each other. We are here to help each other. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah. So. I think if we are aware of the past, that what can happen? If we, we don't repeat it. Yeah. If we don't care, it will happen. But if we care enough to re- give people a warning that be careful. If you don't care, if you take an easy way, it may not be easy for long. So the hard time might come. So that's my opinion. It's only my opinion. Oh, but it's revered on my part to tell you that. I want to ask you this. When did you first come to the United States? I arrived in 1981. Yeah, I arrived in Connecticut. Okay. I'm from New Jersey myself originally before I came here to Florida. I know you live in Clearwater, which is amazing. We're neighbors, basically. And I'm excited about that because I think we can work together in the future. I want to ask you this. When you look at the message of hope that you're There's people in the audience that want to be inspired by what you have to say. 
What would you say to someone who's suffering with depression or anxiety within themselves to help them move past what they're going through so that they can live a better quality of life for themselves? Yeah. So if you struck, you are struggling with sadness or depression, I'm not a psychologist. You can help yourself before you seek professional help. Help yourself by not buying into, say, a diagnosis. You don't buy into that yet. You can help yourself by looking out. Just sometimes you've gone through hard time and think this way. We, gone, we go through hard time in life, everybody. But it's just like living through a storm. The storm will come and go. It would not stay. It would not lingering too long. So let it pass. Let it pass. And just expect that the sunshine will come again. I love that. <laughs> That's the message I share with people. Is anyone who calls me for a psychic reading, for example, or people I talk to, I always say that turbulence on an airplane is like the struggles we go through. And if you can wait it out with patience, things pass and you wind up with more stability to realize. And yeah. We can sometimes make things worse than they are by getting overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. And you are a testament to how to overcome and survive. And if I was to look up in the dictionary survival, I would love to see your picture there because I feel like you're a test. You're just an example of what we can do when we put our mind to it and our spirit behind it to really want to live and make the most of a situation that we're placed in. Yeah, yeah. I will add another component to help yourself out of the, of the hole. You fall into the hole. Try to think something positive. Think, look for something that you are grateful for. We all have something that God bless us with. So just passing this COVID-19 time arc right here, that's a blessing right there because you did not disappear from the earth. You are still alive right now. Listen breathing. To this. Yeah, still breathing. We're smiling. We're breathing. We're enjoying our conversation right now because of <laughs> Every challenge that you overcome is the blessing. You just keep counting on your blessing. From my vantage point, I'm going to tell you this on the side. I consider myself a big fan of history. I watch documentaries a lot. And to have someone that's lived through something that I've watched and observed as a child and through my early years of my life, I'm 46 now, so you can tell me I've been around a few decades, but to have you come on and grace us with everything you just shared, I feel like my meaning and purpose has been upped. <laughs> like... I, I was talking to my mom earlier and I was like, yeah, I have a great afternoon. I get to interview Sarah and I get to talk about her experience of resiliency. I was so excited. And I just have to tell you, you've exceeded my expectations today. You, uh, your human spirit and your soul, when I read your energy is just someone that's so gentle yet so tenacious and you have both married together. And I think that's such a blessing of the human spirit right now that you can share what you've gone through, and yet not make that the only part of your life. You've lived past. 
you've overcome and you are with such a strong meaning and purpose sharing this message for a reason. I believe there's a very strong spiritual reason behind your message of survival. And I just feel like it's a privilege to be able to talk to you today and share this message with our audience because most people who are going to tune into this probably haven't given a lot of thought to Cambodia recently. And they probably haven't thought about the Khmer Rouge or the 3 million souls that perished. But more importantly than that are the souls that survived, like yourself, like your sisters. Do you still keep in touch with your sisters from the camp? And what's that like for you? I still have few, very few. The one that escaped with me, we lost track of each other now, but they came with me and live with me and my family for one year, and then they move on to find their own family. But during this time in the United States, I got about three or four people that lived in the same camp, and we re remember each other. I'm a big advocate of immigration, by the way. I believe that our country is strongest by my great-grandparents came from Europe. You came from Cambodia. How do you feel that like your presence here in the United States has helped strengthen our country? Because I feel like on every level, having you here is our blessing. And it's something that I'm grateful for, that you are able to come to the United States, live here in Florida, share the story, pursue your goals, get your book out there. Just think you're a testament, in my opinion, like a witness. And you need to be preserved and you need to be shared with as many people as possible. Your message needs to be out there. And for me, I'm just so happy right now <laughs> to be able to talk to you and share this because of, of where I am in my life. I just, I all am about, I'm all about truth and sharing and resiliency. In my personal school study, when I took on, or at least share your message of survival, your message of strength and your resiliency and your compassion and love, those are powerful forces. Do you see for yourself the impact that you've made? by releasing your book and coming on shows like this? Have you really reflected on that yet? To think that you're able to share such a strong message of positive energy and love and strength? I start to see a little bit, some ripple effect, some impact, but I, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied yet. I think a lot more people should have been exposed to this type of message because they need it during this time. That's why I come on PodMed, come on different podcasts, yeah. just to share the message because people. I'll tell you this, I've been on PodMatch over a year now, and that site has helped my show by introducing me to so many amazing people. And I look at my podcast as like an introduction, as well as an opportunity to showcase someone like yourself. But more importantly, it gives me a chance to learn. I'm learning firsthand. I was taking notes as you were talking. I'm learning firsthand from you right now. And I'm going to use what I learned from you to help with others. I'm going to take this message of the anecdotes you gave me. And I want to use that to empower as many people as I can through my own interactions. And anytime I feel down, because I deal with mental health stuff too, like anyone else, I'm going to think of you to pick me up and elevate myself. And I have to tell you, I so appreciate you. And I want to do whatever I can to promote you in any way I can.
to other shows and through my audience. And I want to do whatever I can to support you. And I thank you for coming on today because having the ability to do what you're doing right now is exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. And so how's your spirituality now? What's it like for you being at this stage of your life where you realize everything you've been through? How do you look at the upcoming chapters of your book, so to speak? I'm feel very happy. I'm grateful. I'm always grateful because I know the Lord had the plan for me. I have no doubt because he protected me during my escape in the jungle. He protected me during my escape, get out from Cambodia, from stepping on the landmine. So I have no doubt God had a plan for me. And I just follow, just keep doing, because as long as it benefits other people, I will do it. And that made me feel very satisfied. There's nothing more powerful than being able to use your pain as your purpose. My pain become my purpose. I love that. My ma- That's like, you need to trademark that or copyright that. My pain becomes my purpose. Because think about what that means. You've taken something that was so extremely horrifying and turned it into something so beautiful and impact in meaningful ways other people who may never have been impacted without your efforts, without your fortitude, without your desire to survive and escape and take risks and reunite with your family. I see that as heroic, epic, transformative, very powerful, very powerful. My words may not adequately describe how amazing I feel experiences and and sharing with us today, but I can tell you firsthand that anyone who listens to this, I encourage them to check you out, contact you, reach out to you for your wellness and your guidance, and to look at your website, check out your Facebook live and support you in any way I can. I would love to do that. And I would love to have you back on in the future as you go forward on your journey, because I feel like there's going to be other messages that you'll be able to share with us as you reflect on all this. I will be happy to. We'll be happy to return and we pick a topic and we'll talk yes. about it. Yes. yes. Sarah, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I just want to thank Sarah M for coming on the show today. You guys need to check out her book, How I Survived the Killing Fields in Cambodia with the Khmer Rouge. This is not distant history. 50 years ago, 45 years ago, this is something that could happen again. And what we need to do is prevent that from happening again. And the tenacity and the perseverance and faith, love, inner strength, Sarah epitomizes all that. I believe that we all have a message to share. We all learn from one another. I've never met anyone so gentle as Sarah to come on with such courage and to share her vulnerabilities. It's powerful stuff. And look, you can tune into different shows, get motivated from people who have certain lines to share, or a lot of people have been through pretty traumatic experiences. But the thing that I feel most motivated by from this conversation today 
is that it's not what you go through, it's what you make of it. And as you can see, someone like Sarah, so as each of you go through your experiences in your daily lives right now, think of what you can do to persevere. Think of your faith. Think of those in your life that matter to you and what steps you could take to improve your life right now. How can you refocus yourself, build confidence, lead yourself and others, like escaping from the jungle? What can you do to escape a negative situation you're going through? If it's a job you're not happy about, a toxic relationship, or something you're disappointed with, you don't need to be stuck in it. There's no such thing as being stuck in a situation. Things change. And just like turbulence on an airplane, you can get past and overcome more than you realize. The human spirit is very resilient and strong. So keep this stuff in mind. I loved when Sarah said, my pain becomes my purpose. Think of those words. Words have meaning and value. And so check this stuff out. That's all I have to say. And thank you, Sarah, so much for coming on the show. You are an epitome of inner strength on a level I've not witnessed firsthand. And I really am blessed to have you on to share your message. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.